listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Uh, we're turning to Haggai and still in the first chapter, uh, considering this portion of God's Word, these various devotional meditations, considering what the Word would say to us through the ministry of, of Haggai of old. So Haggai chapter 1, I want to read verse 7, and then I want to uh, skip down, uh, verse 7 and 8, uh, and then I want to skip down and read verses 12 and 13 also. So read in verse 7 and 8, and then 12 and 13. Haggai chapter 1, verse number 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, and bring wood, and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. And then verse number 12. Then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Joshadek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. Amen. We look to God for his blessing again upon his holy and inspired word. The prophets of God had a very, a very simple commission they were to relate the word that the Lord had given unto them. They were to bring the Lord's message. They were to work under the authority of the Lord. They belonged to the Lord. And they were to bring the message that the Lord had delivered to them. And so you get verse number 13. Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message. Now sometimes you will hear people saying and praying about a preacher having a message. They'll say, we don't just want a sermon, we want a message. We want a message from the Lord. Now, I, I know what they mean. They want a message that's relevant, relevant to their person, relevant to the times. But sometimes such preach or such thinking may give a preacher some license, a license to give a message of their own opinion, a message from their own mind and not from the Lord. And they will say, the Lord told me to say this. Or the Lord gave me this word for you today. Well, the preacher's task is no different from that of the prophet of old. They are to relate the Lord's message. And today, that is not a message we receive by direct revelation. It is a message that we communicate as we relate the word of God to others. And so we have this obligation to be the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message but that message is a message that comes from the Word of God itself, the Bible. And what happens when such is done, when preachers bring the Lord's Word, the Lord's message? Well, what happens is work follows. You have verse 13, and the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message says, I am with you, saith the Lord. And then verse 14, and the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. That's what happens. When preachers bring the Word from God, then work follows. The Lord gives the message, the message delivered, and the Lord uses his word in the hearts of his people to cause them to work in his work. 
That's how things happen in the church of God. It is the Lord's word to his people in order that his work is performed. God is pleased to use means to perform his work. He does not work immediately. He works through us, through messengers, through his people as instruments of his word. And in turn, he uses the word to encourage us in our work. You see, it must always be the desire of the godly to be among a company of people with a heart to work. That's what it ought to be. The Lord's people should not be content in a time when there's not a heart to work. Troubles will come upon the work of God. Trials, selfishness and sins will hinder and obstruct the work of God. At times this heart to work wanes. There's a pulling back of a determination to serve the Lord in his work. And the temptation in the preacher, perhaps faced with a Haggai 1 situation, is very, very real. People say the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built, and they, they believe, well, this is not a time to work. And the preacher with a Haggai 1 situation may be tempted to despair. They may feel the weight of the situation, and they may lead to burnout. Or they may be tempted to scold and to berate from the pulpit. That can happen also. See, please remember, as I seek to remind myself, God's people are responsible to be at work for the Lord. I need to inform and encourage and direct your hearts. I do so as I seek to direct and encourage my own heart. But I do so with the knowledge that the Lord himself must bless his word in your hearts. And by his Spirit stir up the hearts. It is to the Lord's work that we will and do of his good pleasure. Philippians chapter 2. And so as we see here, the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message is still dependent in verse 14 of the Lord stirring up the hearts of the people. We understand that. But at the same point, it is important that we ask the question, what is the Lord's message that is so used of God to stir the people up to work in this portion? Well, the message is brought to the people through Haggai in the way of encouragement. The Lord encourages the people through the word and through the preaching of Haggai. And there are three encouragements in chapter 1 that really ought to encourage us in our work. And what I want to do tonight is very simply point out these encouragements and show you that these encouragements are always the means that God uses to encourage his work, not just in Haggai's day, but in every generation, including our own. This is the simplest of devotional messages. Very, very simple, very, very plain, but I trust that God would use it to touch your heart and to stir up your heart, that you have a heart to work. And not only am I trying to encourage you to work in the, in the evangelism and the missions of the church, but simply to be faithful, to be obedient in the calling whereunto God has called you, whether it be as a, as a Christian wife, a Christian mother, a, a son, a daughter, a student, whatever your opportunity may be, simply that you be faithful and do that which the Lord has bid you to do. And so the three encouragements begin with the thought of God's pleasure. God's pleasure. Verse number eight. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house and I will take pleasure in it. Pleasure. 
If you were to do a word study on this word in the Hebrew, you would find it has the idea of acceptable. And so you look at the word and you say, well, I will accept it. You, you do the work that I command you, you build the temple, and I'll accept that work. But that thought of acceptance does not really involve the response, the, uh, the, the, the context of the Lord's disposition towards the work. And so rightly, it is not translated, I will accept it. It is, I will take pleasure in it. For the acceptance here of the work is an acceptance with delight. The same word is used in Isaiah 42 regarding the Messiah, my servant in whom my soul delighteth. What a delight that is the Father has toward the Son, the servant of Jehovah. It's also used in Proverbs chapter 3 regarding the Father and the Son in whom he delighteth. This is a, a pleasure, a reality that we must appreciate again. The Lord, he takes delight in the obedience and in the work of his people. We, we sense our sin and our sin can lead us to the point that we will not do anything for God. We, we take this mind, well, I can do nothing to please the Lord. I am just a sinner. I can't please the Lord with my work and my obedience. Well, there's a truth to that. We understand the, even our righteousness are as filthy rags. We, we understand that sin is a serious thing. But if you have the mindset that you cannot please the Lord, then you have not properly understood the full revelation, the full testimony of Scripture. Here God is said to take pleasure in the work of men's hands. That's what it says. Build the house and I will take pleasure in it. He will delight in the fulfillment of his will. And of course that is where the pleasure is in. It is pleasure in a work that God has commissioned. His people are doing his will. He takes delight as his people obey and do his will. The knowledge that we can please the Lord is a tremendous encouragement to obedience. Don't underestimate the power of encouragement. Sometimes in the sporting realm, the coaches in the sporting realm believe that they can only achieve anything by criticizing and pointing out the faults in the players. Every mistake is pointed out. Every minor error or absence is exemplified and expanded and looked in in some microscopic detail and they, they scrutinize and they criticize every little detail. Some parents do the same. They criticize continually. They point out all the faults in their children all the time. And they never take the task of encouraging, of saying, well done, of saying, good job. And they, they, never, they never engender the motivation to serve through the means of encouragement. Barnabases are sadly lacking in the present day. We are very critical, very harsh, very judgmental in our, in our parenting and in all manner of life and in church life. It's a tendency within church leadership to criticize and to rebuke continually, to see faults and never to see the grace of God in the hearts of God's people. But the Lord is quick to encourage us we have, you turn to Psalm 147. Let me just remind you here of the, of the tenor of the word of God, that God takes pleasure in the obedience of his children. Psalm 147 and the verse number 10. He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. 
Here, he's making the point that the Lord does not pleasure, does not take pleasure when men are self-sufficient, when they depend upon their own resources, but rather he taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. Why would you fear the Lord? Why would you hope in his mercy? Well, in part because that pleases the Lord. What a, an incentive that is. And the children in the home, they think to themselves and they, uh, they get up in the morning and think, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to clean my room this morning because I know that's going to please my parents. What a desire that should be in the heart of, of people and so it should be in ourselves, the, the desire to please the Lord. Therefore, not to trust in ourselves, but to trust in the Lord. You think of Romans chapter 8, where we're told that those in the flesh cannot please the Lord. And then immediately, the, 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 the apostle says, but you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. You can please the Lord. Not perfectly, not sinlessly, but truly, genuinely. You have the language of Hebrews chapter 11, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Implication being, by faith, it is possible to please the Lord. The Lord takes pleasure in our obedience. Our task is to, of course, be involved in the building of the work of God. We do so by proclaiming Christ, by witnessing for Christ personally, by praying for His Spirit, by loving one another. We are involved in building the kingdom as we serve as Christians in the body of Christ. And all of these things, done with a heart of dependence upon the Lord, are pleasing to the Lord. That is a tremendous encouragement. Or it ought to be. If we fail to be encouraged by that, then perhaps we have failed to appreciate what it is to please the Lord. So we have the thought of God's pleasure. In the second place, you have the thought of God's preeminence. Verse number 8 again tells, tells us, Build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. I remember as a, a young person being perplexed about the concept, how do we glorify God? God's all glorious. We, we can't add to God's glory. And of course, the simple truth is that we do not add to God's glory. We glorify God as we show God and magnify God with our lives and with our lips. We glorify God by exalting God, by proclaiming God, by praising him in all of his attributes. Here in Haggai, the problem is the temple is not being built. They, they stopped. They, the work stopped. Remember back in Ezra chapter 4, the work stopped. And God's saying, you'll build a temple and I'll be glorified. The preeminence of God in the work. So how is, how is God revealed in the work of the temple being built? In what sense is God glorified as the temple is rebuilt? Well, let me give you a sum, just a sample of thoughts. God's faithfulness is glorified as the temple is rebuilt. God promised to bring the people back. God's promise is shown to be true when the people come back and rebuild the temple. God's kept his word and his faithfulness is glorified. The nations look and say, here's our God who keeps his word. And he's glorified in that. His mercy. His mercy is glorified in the rebuilding of the temple. The Lord shows himself to be dealing with his people in tender mercy. Not as their sins deserve, but according to his mercy and his grace, his mercy is glorified in the building of the temple. His power is glorified in the building of the temple. He is able to bring the impossible to pass, using a wicked king to bring about a decree 
and to give the provisions. And when you read Ezra chapter 5 and following, you'll see that God did mighty things through other kings also to bring this work to pass. And God's power is seen in the building of the temple. God's love is manifest in the building of the temple. For the practice of the temple shows redemption. And we see the love of God that he will take sacrifice. And sacrifice will be accepted whereby the people can be reconciled to God. These are the things that were shown as the work of God is conducted in the building of the temple. And of course, those things are also shown as we seek to work for God in the building of the church. We are laborers together with God. And as Christ builds his church, so we're engaged in that labor. And as the church is building, so his faithfulness is shown. He's promised to keep a people, to save a people, to build the church. And as we're involved in that building, so, so God's faithfulness is seen. His mercy is seen. We are shown mercy and not the wrath of God. God's power is seen. He saves the most unlikely souls. And the power of God is manifest and the church is built. The love of God is shown as the gospel is proclaimed in the church. But turn to John 17, please. Because it is very clear in our Christian living that God is glorified in the building of the church of Christ. I want to show you two portions of Scripture. John 17 and the verse number 10. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. When Christ is formed in you, Christ is glorified in you. In part now, and finally on the last day. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. The verse number 12. With referring to the return of Christ. Well, verse number 10 says, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints. And then verse number 11, wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith and power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. Christ is glorified in the completion of redemption. Note the language used in verse number 11 is so closely used or close to that used by Haggai in chapter 1 of Haggai the good pleasure of God's goodness the Lord takes pleasure in the temple and so he takes pleasure in the bringing together and the building of the church of Christ and in that building Christ is glorified we're engaged in work that brings glory to God that ought to move us and stir up our souls with a burden I want to work the work of God so that God gets all the glory that we show God to be magnificent to a world that despises his name. But we in our work, we're saying, look at our God. Behold our God. Behold. Behold the Savior of sinners. The glory of God in the work of God. So encouragement one. Encouragement one is the pleasure of God. Encouragement two is God's preeminence. And very obviously, the encouragement in the third place is God's presence. God's presence. That's verse number 13. That's the message, isn't it? Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, and the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. This is such a familiar theme in the Scriptures. The assurance of God's presence that once more we tend to take for granted. 
we so quickly take things for granted. But here we have the assurance of God's presence. And the very fact that it recurs throughout the Bible is given to us as a reminder that God is always present with his people. And his presence is that which secures the fulfillment of his purpose. His purpose here is the temple is rebuilt. And his presence is that which secures that purpose. He brings his protection and his power to be through his presence. And the work goes forward. And so we look, the temple is built. And we acknowledge the temple is only built because of the presence of God. And we then say to ourselves, well, our work is not yet complete. But it will be complete because of God's presence with us. And we have the assurance to keep on working and sharing Christ and praying for the gospel. We keep on working with the knowledge that God is present with us. As you go back to Ezra chapter 5, and we noted that Ezra 4 and 5 gives the setting uh, for, the, uh, for the book of Haggai. The work has ceased in verse number 24 of chapter 4. Then the prophets Haggai and Zechariah bring a word from God. And then verse number 2. Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. That corresponds to Haggai 1, doesn't it? And Jeshua, the son of Josedach, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. And the sense here is of, of God. The prophets of God were helping them. And it's, it's God is with them also through the prophets. And so they, they hold on to that assurance. Verse number five. But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews that they could not cause them to cease. Because of God's presence, through his prophets, through the word of encouragement, then the work did not and could not cease. And it is indeed completed. There's a portion that perhaps we don't turn to as often as we ought that gives us great encouragement in this regard. It's Deuteronomy chapter 20. The word of God says, When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies and seest horses and chariots and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them. For the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be, when you come nigh unto the battle, that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people, and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint. Fear not, and do not tremble, neither be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Oh, that people would believe that today. That they'd hold on to that deep assurance. But the Lord is with us. He goes with us to fight for us against all of our enemies. That was the encouragement, of course, that was given to Moses. He said, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. And so in the wilderness wanderings, they are depending upon the presence of God. You think of Numbers chapter 14. That we are to rebel not against the Lord, neither fear the people of the land. They are bred for us, for their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. To Joshua, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Solomon's prayer in the temple. The Lord our God be with us, as he was with our fathers. The encouragement that Hezekiah gave when the people are faced with the Assyrians. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. 
The encouragement in the captivity from Jeremiah, be not afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid, be not afraid of him, saith the Lord, for I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. And what of us today? Do we have something like that to encourage our hearts? Oh, it's okay. The Lord spoke to Hezekiah, spoke to Moses, spoke to Joshua, spoke to Solomon. But has he spoken to us? Well, of course, you know he has. Go ye therefore, teach all nations. And lo, I am with you all the way, even unto the end of the world. Amen. On Mark chapter 16, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. The Lord working with them. So have you become discouraged in the Lord's work? Do your arms hang limp at your side? Have you forgotten what it is to be upon your knees in a place of prayer? Have you found yourself increasingly dumb when confronted with opportunities to share Christ? You're weary in the work. And like Haggai's day of old, you're saying the time has not come, the time has not come to build the house of the Lord. Well, the Lord's message to your hearts, to my heart, to all of our hearts tonight, is that the Lord takes pleasure in his work. The Lord is glorified in his work. And the Lord is present with us as we work for him. Therefore, let's live our lives fearful of grieving the Spirit. Let's ensure that we're quick to pray, that we're bold in our evangelism, courageous in the work of global missions. What is it that will drive our young people to bold acts of service for Christ? What is it that will cause them to leave these shores and go to far-off lands to preach Christ? What is it that will enable us to engage with all the wickedness of our days? What is it that will cause us to boldly say, Jesus Christ is Lord? It is the reality that God is pleased with his work, glorified in his work, and present with us. It is these truths that will motivate our souls to make much of Christ in a day when Christ is despised. And so may God help us to grapple with these things in our minds, that we take the word of God by faith, we believe the word, and live the word out for the good of the church and the glory of God's name. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.